Well, uh, for those of you who were here last week, you know we're in uh, session two of our arranged marriage series, <laughs> of our dating series, uh, series on dating, and uh, we're just gonna we're gonna be in that for a few weeks. Um, I guess we weren't here last week, were we? We were snowed snowed out. Um, but the week before that, we were here in the dating series. I'm just curious, how many of you uh, weren't here for that first session? Raise them high. Okay, not here for the first session. All right. So, those of you who are here, help us. We started last week on a series on dating. Why? <laughs> just kidding. I won't ask you that. We all know why. All right. <laughs> Second question. What? What we, we introduced a topic, right? We introduced dating. And what was kind of the, one of the main takeaways? What does the Bible say about dating? Nothing. So, easy series, right? <laughs> Dangerous series, actually. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say much about the dating process. Yeah. And so we learned that just because it's silent, it doesn't mean that it's insufficient. The Bible's not insufficient to guide us in this area. Okay? It's not insufficient. The Bible claims that it is sufficient for everything we need, including giving us wisdom during this phase uh, of what we might call dating. So there's no particular dating method, so we've got to be careful. You know, whatever, whatever particular method you might prefer, um, you're not going to get chapter and verse on that. You might get wisdom principles behind it, but you can't just mandate a particular method on everybody else. So, uh, Bible's silent there, but God has provided us everything we need. And the Bible silence gives, there's, there's some things we can draw out from that, right? So what are some of those things that we can draw out from the fact that the Bible is silent? about the dating process. Does that question make sense? Oh, man. Leave it to the parents. No. Yes, there is a lot of wisdom in the parents. But no, again, don't go to... It doesn't doesn't mandate arranged marriages, okay? As much as we all might like that. All right, doesn't mandate that. Okay, what is the Bible... What's silence? What does that imply? Okay, there's no special category, meaning we shouldn't create a third category in our minds, like there's singleness, there's dating, and then there's marriage, right? So the Bible only has two categories. What are they? Singleness and marriage, right? And so dating, or whatever we want to call that, is what? Yeah, it's testing companionship. It's that path. It's whatever, it's whatever we do to make sure that, to try to get to marriage, Right? That should be its exclusive goal. So we said we shouldn't create a third category of dating in our minds. And I'm not saying we don't use labels. <laughs> okay? That's fine if you say we're dating my boyfriend, girlfriend. My point is that there's not this special cat. Like you didn't change categories in God's mind. We can say that to kind of clarify amongst ourselves, right? But you're still single according to God. All right? And since there's not that third category then, dating, you know, the world dates for lots of reasons. And we're going to talk about that. But for us, for Christians, we should date with kind of a, a purpose in mind, right? So knowing that there's no, there's no explicit category of dating, that means whatever we're doing should be that. Where am I at? Not on the screen here. Dating should be that pathway. It should, it should help us get to, to our destination. And we'll talk about that goal, which we would describe as testing companionship for marriage. All right, and since, since that's where we're headed, since, we're, since dating is, is leading to marriage or is the, the process of testing that companionship, that means then, third, we should think carefully about what marriage is, right? So I think 
when we, we sometimes assume that I'm 18, I'm 19, I'm out of the house, and I want to be married one day, so I, therefore I should just date. Um, I don't really need to prepare. I don't really need to think ahead. I just have these desires, and so I should just fulfill them. Um, but what's very important is you need to know the destination. You need to know where you're, where you're trying to get to and what that's about. So you start dating, and that leads to marriage where you're going to automatically assume some new roles. Uh, God's going to put some expectations on you uh, that he's spoken very, very clearly about in the Word. And so we want to equip ourselves there. Um, you don't have to be masters of marriage, but you want to know what marriage is, why it exists, what the roles are. Um, all the things that the scriptures say about marriage, at least know where those are and can, can begin thinking about those things. All right? And ideally, that happens before we date, but we're not in an ideal world, so you might be dating already. But it's time to, it's time to, to get after that. All right? We need to know where we're going. That's gonna, we're going to talk about that um, in another session. All right? So we also asked, well, you know, what is dating? We kind of brought it last week. We brought it all together, and that definition's on the screen there. You can see that. It's going from singleness to marriage in a way that honors Christ. And that last part is, is probably the most important. Okay, we want to honor Christ in this process. So today we're going to move into our second session. And uh, I've entitled it The Purpose or the Goal of Dating. So the purpose of dating. So what, what is our goal? We need to think carefully about that um, as we're getting into it or as we're in a dating relationship. Uh, we're going to look at what should motivate us to date, or you in this case. I've already run the gauntlet. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Um, what should motivate you beyond just the thrill of romance? And there is the thrill of romance. That's a sweet, sweet blessing. All right, so we touched on this briefly uh, last week, but it, it's so important that I want to give a whole session to it. And we're going to do it like we did last week. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, like that's going to be our outline. We're going to ask and answer basically five questions today on the purpose of dating. And this is crucial that we think about this because there are a lot of potential reasons that people date, you know, th- reasons that, things that can motivate you to date. Um, they're not necessarily wrong. Some of them are, but they can be kind of this inordinate desire is what we often call it, um, if it's driving the dating process. So let's look at this first question. What are some potential reasons for dating? Or you could say it like this, like what are some common motivations good and bad, um, for people who date? What do you think? Peer pressure. Why? I came from a public school, so there's that pressure. Oh, everyone else is dating. Maybe I should too. Yeah, so everybody else is dating. I'm out of place. I want to fit in. I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah? What are some other reasons? Status. Who said that? Oh, status. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it does. It makes you, you're tempted to feel better about yourself, right? Like, I'm wanted, I'm desired. I, I feel, you know, I, I walk into church or into Liberty Library with, you know, holding hands. It's great. <laughs> Feels good. I don't know where you go. Probably not the library. <laughs> You guys are like, he is wildly out of touch <laughs> with this whole dating thing. All right, yeah, well, let's, let's just go through a few of them. All right, have fun, right? Have fun. People date to have fun. This is very common. Um, it's true to our experience, right? 
we realize that spending time with the opposite sex is exciting, and it, it ought to be fun, right? It's, that's, that's a sweet thing. The Lord's designed it in, in a way that's, that's pleasurable. But if that's dr- the driving factor, and you might hear, hear it described like, you know, we at least had fun. We broke up, but we at least had fun, right? Like, uh, ob- objective checked, right? Like, fun can begin to sort of drive the dating relationship, and you might begin to think, well, if we're not always having fun all the time, something's drastically wrong, right? So just to have fun... The danger there is it trivializes the glory of the marital relationship. Like marriage is far more profound than just having fun. Um, it's very important that you can laugh with your spouse and, and not take yourself seriously and, and know what they like and be able to have fun together. That's great. But it's far more profound than that. And it, it often, if, if fun is your goal, that comes up short of the larger purpose of dating. Okay? So fun, to, we talked about this one, to feel loved and to, and to avoid loneliness, to be desired, Right? People often date because they want to experience love as they perceive love in their, in their minds. They want to be desired, and that makes sense. We might fear being lonely now. It just increases as you get later in your life, and you think, am I, going to be alone? am I going to be alone the rest of my life? And so in one sense, this desire is normal for us, I think, for most people. Let me put it that way. For most people, this is a normal, God-given desire to, to have a companion, to do life together with someone. We're designed to be interdependent, and God has wired most for marriage. And so even unbelievers recognize this, and they move toward companionship in some form. Even if they're tearing marriage down, they still want the companionship. Because you can't, you can't erase how God has created us and, and wired us as human beings. So they move toward that even if it's bent, even if it's perverted, even if it's out of God's methods, because they're deceived, right? Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a big motivator. All right? Another one would be to experience intimacy and pleasure. Right? So, <clears throat> this is, you know, if we're talking about dating in particular, this is a, often a worldly motivation. If you're trying to fulfill this in some form before marriage, right? You, you want this sexual experience in a dating relationship. But this is a, a, a deep motivation because sex is pleasurable, it's exciting. Um, you might even say, okay, well, I'm not going to have sex in my dating relationship, but that drive for sex might motivate you to pursue dating so you can get married so you can have it, right? And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the desire for intimacy. That's again how God has wired us, but that can become a driving factor, an inordinate desire. People want to experience often these foretastes of marital intimacy without the covenant commitment that God's designed it to take place in. And so if the fire, if the, if the fire is let out of the fireplace, so to speak, it's going to consume the, the house that it's in. So that's, it's designed to function within the marriage covenant. But that's one of the reasons people, people will date. Um, another one is to feel important. We talked about that, personally significant. I feel like you're needed um, in some way. You know, often we're, we're motivated to date because you might try to perceive this need that you have and you're trying to meet that in some other person. You're tempted, if you walk into church, like we said, feel insecure about that. If you're walking in alone or all your other friends are dating. So that might drive you to try to, try to get a dating relationship. Another one, again, one of those normal good desires to get married one day. You want to be married, and so therefore you date. 
This can be a wonderful God-given desire or it can turn into an idolatrous desire. And we'll look more at that in a minute. Again, kind of keep going to have the potential of a family. Some guys think about this early. Mostly it's the ladies that uh, just have this maternal instinct. They know they want to be married so that they can have companionship and raise a family. Um, Some of the younger men are already thinking along these lines, but this, there, there's often a deep desire for family. And again, that can be a powerful motivator to, to date. And then finally, I would just say, these are not comprehensive, but just some of the ones I thought of. Another motivator would be to gain security for the future. To gain security for the future. This becomes an acute feeling, especially for those who are approaching the end of their collegiate experience. Right? Um, it's kind of like you see the window in your mind. The window is shortening, and it's like, oh, no, I've got to find the one um, because my chances are going to be reduced, you know, and I need security for later. You begin to fear that that normal opportunity to date is coming to a close, and so you might want to ratchet up your effort to find somebody. Again, that's, this is not necessarily a bad motivation to gain that security and predictability for the future, stability, um, but again, you don't want it to become the, the reigning motivator. So those are some potential goals that could be good or idolatrous. So what, how do we filter those out? So that leads us to our kind of second question. What are biblical goals or a biblical goal, the biblical goal in dating? Now I put this in the plural, goals, plural, and it's really just one goal. You could think of it as a target. Like, a, like one, one of the, 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 the outer goal or the one that's, that's comprehensive is what I'm calling the overarching goal of God's glory. All right? And then within that, there's sort of a targeted goal um, where we're going to go. It's called testing companionship unto the glory of God, right? But God's glory, we want to start there. Our overarching goal when, when we think about dating or when you guys are pursuing dating should be consistent, catch this, it should be consistent with the overall aim of our lives as believers, which is, on the screen, the glory of God, right? So 1 Corinthians 10.31, you guys know this well, says that in every, Paul teaches us in everything we do, it should be for God's glory, meaning we should want God to be magnified, Him to be pleased. To be done in obedience to Him. And so that means then, if we should eat and drink for God's glory, we should also date for God's glory, right? Ultimately. But that implies something else. We're talking about God's glory. That implies you actually want to live for God's glory, or that that's actually a reigning motivator in your life. Like I say that, and you're like, yes, I want that. So ask yourself the question, do you want God to be magnified in the church and in the world because of and through your dating relationship? Is that something you think about? Have you ever considered that before? Do you want God to be magnified in and through your dating relationship in the church and in the world? If you do, amen. If you don't, why have you never thought about that? So I think we need to think about how this desire to live for God's glory is cultivated, okay? Because it's, again, we've got all these competing desires within us. 
We desire to, let me back up, we don't desire God's glory. In fact, all we can do in our unbelieving state is to steal God's glory when we're unbelievers. I mean, that's, that's, that's all we've got. We want to be glorified. We want to call the shots for our lives. We want to be magnified. That's what it means to be a sinner. So what we need is we need to come to see the depth of that, how much judgment we deserve because of that, and how free God's forgiveness is for the traitors like us. And avail ourselves of that forgiveness. So when we have experienced God's salvation, Psalm 50, okay? When we've experienced it, we glorify Him. That, His glory then becomes the, the focus of our lives. We have come to know this great and awesome God. We see how small we really are. We see how great He is. Our eyes have been opened to, to our sin and we've experienced His forgiveness. Our eyes have been opened to His beauty. And that is when we want to live for His glory and not our own. It doesn't mean we won't ever get deceived and start living for our glory again, but, but we are convicted by that. We want to repent of that and grow in living for His glory. And, and let me keep going with the implications here. If His glory is not our highest goal, if it's not your goal in dating, then that reveals something. It reveals that you want something else more than that. Does that make sense? So you want something else more than His glory in your hearts. And you've got to recognize this. If we want something else more than to please Christ, it reveals an idolatry. It reveals a false hope. It reveals something that we're banking on that's going to end up letting us down and ending in destruction. That's what idols do. They're false hopes. They're set up to be like, hey, this can, you can depend on this when you really can't. It reveals, if God's glory is not your aim, it reveals that someone or something else is Lord in our hearts. It's calling the shots for our lives. And sometimes, catch this, sometimes even a dating relationship or the desire for marriage, which are both good things, they can often be an unchecked idol in our hearts. And that's why I'm starting with God's glory as the goal. Because if we start with marriage as the goal, guess what could happen? You could just be bound down to the idol of marriage and that, that just go completely unchecked, okay, when we think about dating. So we trust in someone of the opposite sex or this sort of idea that we have of marriage and all these fulfillments that we're going to get in it. We trust in that to provide for our needs and our desires and we worship them or we worship the idea of marriage. So here's what it might sound like, all right, if we're worshiping marriage or worshiping the idea of, of dating or whatever might sound like this. I'm terrified of being single the rest of my life. I cannot live with that kind of loneliness. Marriage would fix my craving for completeness. I am incomplete without a spouse and I'll never be truly happy until I am married. might sound like this. I can't control my lustful urges without a wife or a husband. I'll never be ultimately satisfied until I can express my sexual longings with a spouse. Or it might sound like this. I won't be satisfied in life unless I can have children. I can't imagine living without ever having a family, without ever having a husband. Once I have children, I can finally realize my purpose on earth. Or it might sound like this. I can't really grow unless or until I'm married. 
I can't grow as well until I'm married. No one will treat me as a real adult until I'm married. I'm kind of a half person if I'm single, right? Sometimes we don't help that in the church culture, right? But those fears can kind of take root. But it reveals, I've got to have this. If I don't have this, then I can't blank. Or it might spill out in a different direction. I can't believe that Joe is dating and I'm not. You know, I can't believe that Sue always gets asked out and I'm sitting over here and then you start tearing her down. You start tearing him down. You're jealous. You're envious. Jealousy and envy are of the flesh and it reveals that you want something and you're jealous of the, or the person that has it. So that's what it might sound like. It might look like, idolatry might look like pushing the boundaries physically in a dating relationship. It might look like looking at porn if you're single or even if you're dating. It might look like dating an unbeliever just because you've got to have that thing and they're the only one that's interested in you. Right? So again, I'm just trying to put some, some context on this. But now let me balance that with some good news. All right? If you, if you think, whoa, like I'm probably idolizing marriage right now. There is tremendous news. There's overflowing forgiveness and great grace in Christ. So don't minimize the danger of that. The fact that you have just substituted God for marriage. But flee to God. When you turn to trust Him, you're going to avail yourself of His great grace in Christ. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save idolaters. He lived and died to cleanse idolaters. He lived a sinless life, which means he never idolized anything. And his perfect obedience is transferred to us by faith. He is our propitiation, which means he's absorbed all of God's wrath for idolatry, for our lusting, for a spouse, for our inordinate desires to be married. He has died for all of that. And so there's no judgment left for us to experience if we come to him. And he knew about this idolatry far before we did. If if you're seeing it now, he's the one revealing it to you because he loves you. He's the one that's graciously exposing it today so that we can find the full joy of worshiping Christ. So there can be contentment in your life. Not, not Not a passivity when it comes to dating. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying contentment, joy, thanksgiving as a single person. That's what he intends. The greater fulfillment of knowing Christ. Marriage cannot deliver you like God can, so don't trust in it. And if you don't repent of idolatry in marriage now, you're just going to take that right into your marriage, and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess because marriage can't deliver, so don't trust there. Marriage is a wonderful gift, but it's a faulty hope, and it's a terrible God. So trust exclusively in the true God who created marriage in the first place and gave it to us to enjoy. So that's why God's glory has got to be our ultimate goal. It puts everything else into its place. When we're truly worshiping Christ, when we want to see Him honored in our lives, then we're going to work to bring our dating practices under His Lordship. Does it make sense? All right, so let's get to the specific goal of dating. It's what we'll call testing companionship. Testing companionship. Now, there's lots of 
texts we could go to on this. But the, the specific goal that we should have in the dating relationship is, is what we call test compa- testing companionship for marriage. This just means that you're dating to explore whether companionship in marriage is something you guys should pursue with each other. Okay? But that implies, okay, if, if companionship is the goal, then we need to know a little bit about what we're pursuing, right? We don't often talk in those terms, companionship. So what, that leads us to our third question then. What is companionship? We're going to kind of flesh this out, and then we're going to look at what it means to test it. So what is it? Now, I'm going to hit some highlights here. I've gone into a lot more depth in this in other times with other sermons, and I've got some of it written up even. So if you're like, wow, this is the first time I've heard this, you just kind of hit the highlights. Can I learn more about that? Yes, you can. Just email one of us, and we'll, we'll send you some of those notes from previous, previous material. All right, so generally speaking, a companion in the Bible, that term just means close friend. Close friend. You can write down Psalm 55, verses 13 and 14. David's talking about that with another dude, right? So a close friend. is an intimate companion, somebody that he shared his heart with and actually ended up backstabbing him in, uh, in that text. Kind of a negative example, but it gives you the idea, Okay? And this term is applied, this companion term is applied to the marriage partner. In places like Proverbs 2.17, Malachi 2.14, and a different term is used, but the same idea in Song of Solomon 5.16, where the, the husband or the wife, the bride, the bride there is calling her husband her friend. And this is the most fundamentally what the marriage relationship is all about, okay? It's about friendship, intimate companionship. And I think we can flesh this out further by describing this friendship with some, some, some additional statements, okay, that kind of, kind of helps us wrap our arms around what this friendship in, is involved in, uh, uh, entails, I guess. We can say it like this. It is a, a unified friendship, and it's unified around Christ's mission. It's unified, and it's unified around Christ's mission. Again, this is why God's glory has to be first in your life. Because <laughs> you're just looking over, and you get married, and now their goal, God's glory is, is the goal of their life, and you're bringing that together to say, we're pursuing that together, one mission, under God's glory. Right? So it's unified, this marriage relationship is unified around Christ's mission. And... You see this very clearly in the opening chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, in particular, the one flesh union here that's talked about in Genesis 2.24. I think I wrote that up. No, I didn't. Genesis 2.24, the the Bible describes it as one flesh. So God created marriage in order to further his mission on earth. That's, That's key. Marriage is not an end in itself. So, like, I can just get married and have fulfillment. It is fulfilling. It is very, it is very exciting. The relationship is a beautiful gift. But it, it foc- its focus is outward. It's, it's for something. And that's, that's to further God's mission. 
It's a good gift given by God to help us accomplish dominion. The Bible's word in Genesis 1, dominion. That means it has a purpose and it looks outside of itself. Now I'm going to skip over like three-fourths of the Bible right here. Okay? But now that we're in the New Covenant, Genesis, all the way now to the New Covenant, all right, skipped over a lot. There's a lot of developments here. But hang with me. The focus of the marriage relationship is discipleship. Husband and wife seek to love and serve each other, to help each other become better followers of Christ, most fundamentally. They haven't raised children in the prayer that their children will become followers of Christ. Their home becomes a little microcosm of the church as they practice the one another's, as they show what body life is like with their own members of their family. They're hospitable to the saints of the church in their home. They use their resources for that. They disciple others in the church, in and through their home. They share the gospel with their neighbors. They work hard to provide for their own needs. Husband's getting after it, working as hard as he can to bring as much money as he can so that he can provide for the needs of his family and the needs of others in the church. Wife's coming under him to help him in that endeavor, whatever his vocation, whatever is, whatever is the, the path of his life. That's dominion in the new covenant. And it's looking toward the, the new heavens and the new earth when marriage is going to pass away. Okay, so that's the purpose of marriage. Marriage exists for that. And God intends husband and wife to be unified, unified in this pursuit. And it calls it a one flesh union. In marriage, God joins an individual man and a woman together into a a harmonious single entity. And this unity includes sexual unity, but it goes far beyond that. God intends this one flesh language to represent unity, not just in sex, but in thoughts, in goals, in plans, in efforts, in bodies. Alright? The one flesh union includes thoughts, goals, plans, efforts, and bodies. So that's why you have to be unified around something. Something has to be your basis, which is Christ. That's why He created you and brought you together. But now, this unity doesn't mean uniformity when it comes to the companionship relationship. Meaning you're not doing the exact same things. Okay? God created you differently. Male and female. Husband and wife are beautifully and profoundly different as God intended. So we'll say it is, a, it is complementary in function. Meaning you complement one another. There's obvious overlap between husband and wife in terms of what, what you do. You know, you're both shepherding the children. You're both doing this. You're both doing that. But there are some significant differences, and we need to pay attention to those. In Genesis 2, 18, the Lord said he would make Adam a helper. This is literally what it is. Quote, a helper fit for him. Doesn't mean she's lesser than him. Just means she's designed in a certain way to complement him. This phrase could be translated, she is a helper like his opposite. The woman, Adam's wife, will help him fulfill God's mission by being opposite to him and very different from him. Praise God. 
They're like two pieces of a puzzle. The man and the woman are designed to fit together perfectly. And pre-fall, this did not cause friction. Husband and wife are to, to work harmoniously together, fulfilling different but essential roles. And again, God, we got a lot, of, we got a lot on this, okay? But that's a high level, okay? Most fundamentally, the husband leads. He's out in front, and the wife helps him, okay? He leads, the wife helps. And there's a lot more on that um, that we can flesh out. But that's, I just want to get lead and help. So the marital companionship is complementary, all right, in function. And last but not least, the marriage friendship is romantic. It's not just a friendship, okay? There's romance involved. There's intimacy involved. An entire book of the Bible is devoted to this, Song of Solomon, to detailing out the beauty and the intimacy of marriage and its goodness. Sex isn't wrong. Sex is good. Created by God to procreate and to have pleasure. Scripture extols romance and marriage. It extols sexual passion as long as it's controlled and used the right way. Marriage is not some cold business partnership, although you do work together a lot, okay? You're more than friends. You're lovers in marriage. There's chemistry as you get to know each other. There are desires that grow toward one another as God intermingles your souls together. And this is good. It takes work, but it's worth it. Okay, God created it that way. So that's just a crash course on the companionship, relationship, and marriage. A lot more there. But crash course, that's kind of what you're after. Okay? That's your goal. So what's involved now in the dating relationship? Like, how do we test that during dating? And that brings us to our fourth question. What is involved in actually just testing this companionship now? What does that look like? Well, to answer this question, um, I'm just going to take direction primarily from what Paul tells a widow, or the widows, in Corinth, from 1 Corinthians 7.39. So in this verse, Paul's, or in this context, Paul's triaging a lot of different sort of scenarios that the church people find themselves in as it relates to marriage or singleness. And one of them is there's a lady who's been married before, her husband's now dead, and she's considering whether or not to remarry and needs some guidance there. And Paul says this, if a woman's husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. Okay, so her husband dies, i.e. she's single. She's free to be married to whomever she wants, only in the Lord. So let me just say this. You hear how simple that was? Say yes. Thank you. (laughs) Do not overcomplicate this. All right? Whoever she wants, in the Lord. Okay? Two criteria. All right, so this is, let's flesh this out, okay? The Lord designed a man and a woman to work out together so you can just take a deep breath that if you just get to know somebody, it's going to be good, okay? So initially, what does this involve? 
It involves determining that marriage to this person would be allowable. Okay? Allowable. What do I mean by that? What do you think? Yes. Are they a believer? Are they Christian? Now, this doesn't mean that someone claimed to be a Christian. This doesn't mean that every person walking through liberty who's been baptized is a Christian. Okay? We're talking in the Lord means a real Christian, as far as you can tell. So, it means looking at your own life. Are you a real Christian? You know, do you have assurance? Is there fruit being born in your life? Because if you're not, and you're posing as one, that could be dangerous to somebody that's trying to date you. So, as you get to know somebody, you're looking for evidence that they are a genuine follower of Christ. Do they love Christ for all He's done for them? Are they willing to follow Christ because of what He's done for them? Are they willing to do the hard things? Do they take responsibility for their sin? Do they, do they repent? Do you see patterns of repentance in their life? Are they humble enough to talk about it? Do you see them becoming more like Jesus over time? Do they love the church? And are they willing to submit to the church and serve the church? Are they tender toward others? Are they quick to forgive people? Or do they resent? Do they gossip? So as you get to know a person, you're looking for that. And, you know, as, as you spend more time with someone, who they are will come out. And if you're unsure, if the more you're spending time with someone, you're unsure about how serious a guy or a girl is about Jesus, do not date them. Definitely don't marry them. But if you see humility... Humility and a love for Christ and a submission to His Word. Those are great signs. Humility, I'm not talking about, they're not, you're not going to have the Proverbs 31 fruit tree, okay? Because you're not there yet, ladies, sorry. But you can be humble. You can be tender. You can tremble at God's Word. Same for the guys. Dudes aren't going to be David leaders, you know, who are just... Taking the hill. Not yet. Lord willing, you will be. But are you humble? Do you tremble at God's word? Are you teachable? Do you have convictions? Are you willing to stand for those? That's the kind of man that you want to you be getting to know. All right? But just because this person is a believer doesn't mean you have to marry them. Okay? This brings us to our other point here that Paul's talking about. If you don't want to marry him, don't. The widow is free to be married to whomever she wishes. That means whoever she wants to marry. Okay, so that means contesting companionship explores your desires for marriage to this person. I talk to people. You'd be surprised. Like, well, it's this person's a believer and they like me and so I should probably marry him, right? I'm like, well, do you want to? And they're like, I don't know. And they kind of get this panicked look. I'm like, stop! Don't! They're like, but I don't have a reason. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You don't have, like, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, that could be immature, but I'm not going to, no, if you don't want to marry them, don't. This is where we don't need to overcomplicate it. Attraction is a good thing. Desire is good as long as it's an informed one. 
Paul's saying that if you're going to get married, you should actually want to marry that person. Desires grow. Okay, so here's where it hits you. Desires grow over time. And you ready for this? As you get to know each other. Okay? So there's no problem being like, wow, that girl's pretty. I want to get to know her. Just don't let that, like, dominate everything. Or, wow, that guy's handsome. Or, wow, I like this about that guy. I don't really know him. That's great. Go for it. You know, but just don't let that reign. Desires grow over time. Okay, so that means you kind of have to develop this relationship. That implies that testing companionship involves getting to know them for who they are. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to share about yourself. Don't be afraid to have a lot of fun doing that together. Have shared experiences, serve in the same areas. You've got to spend time together and you've got to take risks. You say, what if I get hurt? What if we end? What if we break up? My heart gets trampled on. Your heart gets trampled on. Like that's the risk that you take. And guess what? God is sovereign in the trampling. He will ordain and turn that for your good. What if I get embarrassed? What if they break it off? Then you get embarrassed and they break it off. And you grow. Praise God, right? So take the risk. You might get hurt, but we're not like hurt averse as Christians, right? Christ said you've got to be willing to die to follow him. We can take a risk and ask a girl out. That's okay. So, you, but you want to get to know them. It's not just all going to be there in the very first date, right? You want, you want whoever you're dating to get to know the real you, and you, want it, and you want the same for them. So what are they like? How are they wired? Do you enjoy spending time together? Do you end each time looking forward to more time together? Or is it like, ah, I can take or leave that. <laughs> On the 10th date, you know, it's like... You just, I mean, I just, you, it's okay if you don't have a reason. There's a chemistry component of like, that's not working. You know, like there's a bill, there's how many billion people on the planet? And we are diverse, right? Just because you're a man and a woman doesn't mean all men and women are alike. God has created us to, to groove together, kind of, with certain kinds of people. And it, it, you don't have to have a degree to figure that out, right? You're with them and you're like, Ew. or you're like, yeah. Okay? Again, I don't want you to overcomplicate this. Is your intrigue growing over time? Do you find them physically and spiritually attractive? God has wired us to be attracted to our spouses. It's implied in this one flesh language. Marriage to the particular person should be desirable to us, and if it's not, don't force it. You're fine when you're single. There's no, you're not like less of a person. All right? Took a little longer on that point. All right, as you're getting to know them, testing companionship is also going to involve considering if marriage to this person is wise. All right, is wise. And again, I don't want to overcomplicate this. Because I think you say, is it wise? And then it's like, oh no. They're godly, and they're wonderful, and I love being with them, but is it wise? (laughs) It's like, yes, it probably is, you know? But just hang with me here. Let me bring a few more things to bear, okay? Scripture's clear that marriage to certain kinds of people will either bring blessing into your life or will bring difficulty. Okay, Psalm 128. Man who fears the Lord, his family's going to flourish. Proverbs 12, 4. Proverbs 31. Obviously, you marry this 31 woman, 
and she's going to bring blessing into your marriage and family. Or the converse is true. You marry somebody that's, that's got these significant, uh, uh, you know, she's, you know, you know the verse I'm talking about in Proverbs. Better to live on the corner of a housetop than with this kind of person, right? So study those. Figure out what kinds of people. Proverbs 12, Proverbs 21, Proverbs, 9, uh, Proverbs 25, Proverbs 27, Proverbs 30. Okay? It's, the warnings are there. But we want to be the kind of person that Scripture would commend. And so we should be judicious and wise, not fearful. should be wise about who we're considering to enter into the sacred lifelong covenant with. And again, just underscore, the thing you're looking for is humility. The thing you're looking for is a trembling at God's word, even if they are rough around the edges. Because guess what? So are you. You are very rough around the edges. But what you are looking for is humility, trembling at God's word. Okay? You say, but other things are wise here to think about. Do you understand the roles you're going to be assuming in marriage? Do you have harmony there? Have you talked through some of those expectations that you've had about those roles and kind of how you always envision them working out? How did your parents do it? Have you talked about that? How are you bringing those things in? Again, we're talking like on down the line here in the dating relationship, but are, are you aligned in your vision of how these things are going to work out practically? Um, do you complement one another well in your particular sort of bents and giftings, limitations? Can you imagine, it's just going to sound really like war language here, but can you imagine being in the foxhole for the rest of your life with this person as a companion? So there's lots of things we could tag onto that, but just is it just things to think about considering if it's wise. Does this, does this make sense? Is this a good decision? What do your parents think about this? You know, assuming they're reasonable believers, okay? What do your parents think about this? Um, what do your, what's your church body think? Are you people that know you. Are you getting affirmations here? That's a great thing. It's a great sign, all right? So, last, last question here. We'll end. What is the purpose of dating? If we can bring all this together, how would we say it? Again, just trying to collapse it all. What's the purpose? We would just say it like this. It's God's glory as we test companionship for marriage. Okay? It's God's glory. That's our goal. As we, and the means of getting there, as we test companionship in marriage. The goal is not marriage itself, because guess what? You can break up and be faithful to this goal. You can say, I don't think this is where we need to be right now. And that's good. That's a success. Because you're testing companionship under the glory of God. You can break up without defrauding one another. You can date without defrauding one another. You can date in a way that pleases the Lord. And so, that's our goal. All right, we got maybe... Time for one or one or two questions. Real quick. Rapid fire. Anything burning? You're like, I'm just I'm processing this clay. Just give me a second. Yeah, timeline question. So we will flesh that out in um, a couple sessions from now. Just like, what, is this, what does this friendship look like? Like, how does it develop? 
Um, what are some markers? You know, yeah, totally. That's probably the reigning question. Like, how, you know, <laughs> I think somebody came up to me last week and was like, because I said, you know, I kind of hounded the guys for taking too long. Somebody came up to me last week and was like, no, the guys are like ready to get married today. Um, and so I was like, wow, didn't know that. Kind of a reversal from uh, where I was at. Um, great. Hey, at least they're ambitious. Good. Now we'll talk about that. Good question. Anything else? Yeah. Online dating. Wow. I mean, I, again, it's one of those methods that I don't really care. I mean, yeah, there's certain online dating stuff that just is like, I don't know what they're called, but they're, they're no-goes, you know? That basically, you're putting yourself out there to, just put it bluntly, be a sex partner. Like, no, those are not, you don't want to fish in those ponds. But yeah, if it's, if it's a good portal, I don't see anything inherently wrong with that. I mean, you've got to be careful. <laughs> it's got to be some additional, probably some additional in, like, principles that you want to bring to bear on that because you don't have all the, the natural helps of kind of the, the typical way relationships form, um, just the progressions of those, because you kind of have to do that, similar to like dating long distance, but here in this case, you're meeting long distance, and you're dating long distance, so um, there's some, it's not, it's not that it can't be done, I know people who are happily married today uh, that met online, so, no, again, I think it's just, I think that's method, right, methodology, and I think the Bible can help you Navigate that if that's something that you choose. Yeah. Rich can clean this up if he thinks if he thinks anything differently uh, than me on this. Yeah. Other questions? Yep. No. Because if you press long enough, you won't. There's like you're both the the, the beauty of marriage is the question becomes because one of the roles of a husband is that he teaches his wife. Whoa, sounds a little bit. He shepherds her. So, the question the ladies need to be thinking about is, am I content to be shepherded by him and taught by him? Can I come underneath him? And can we learn together? Because he needs to be trembling at the word too, because he doesn't know everything. So that, that also underscores why you need to be in a good church together. So you can both be learning under the shepherds of that congregation, underneath, as the word is taught faithfully and it's applied faithfully. Because guess what? You grow together, and you become different people in your marriage. It's a sweet thing. Um, it's just how God's transforming grace works. But the key is not that you agree on everything necessarily up front, but she does have to be willing to kind of know what you believe and be willing to come up under that and take a, take a perspective, okay, hey, we're going to try to work these angles together on these issues. But I'm assuming we're talking about actual theology and not just like preferences, Okay. So preferences are, are things that, you know, you want to defer to one another in those, those areas in a marriage. Or, if they're serious to you, you want to homeschool, and he's like, never homeschooled in my life. <laughs> then it's like, you, that's in the wisdom category, okay? You might want to think through that, depending on how firm you are in that. But that's a preference issue. That's not like uh, the deity of Christ or the, you know, your view of atonement, the atonement. You know, the, those are important things, but they're not theological. Yeah. Good question. All right, let's wrap it up. If you got any more questions, find me on Thursday. I'm there for a long time. We can chat. All right, see you guys next week.